Welcome to the Fairview Church Podcast. At Fairview Church, we are dedicated to reaching our neighbors with the true freedom found in full surrender to Christ. To find out more about our church, including service times, location, and current sermon series, please visit us online at www.myfairview.org. Well, this morning we are going to be continuing in our Advent sermon series, and it is called The Fullness of Time, and that is from Galatians 4.4, and we've been looking at the life of Abraham and some of the specific events from his life. And then we've also been considering the subject of time. And so this morning we're going to be continuing that by going to God's Word in Genesis chapter 21. And so I would invite you, if you would, stand with me in honor of reading God's Word. Again, we're in Genesis 21, beginning in verse one. And I would invite you, if you would like, to join in with me in reading our passage this morning. The Lord came to Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age. At the appointed time, God had told him. Abraham named his son, who was born to him, the one Sarah bore to him, Isaac. When his son Isaac was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Sarah said, God has made me laugh and everyone who hears will laugh with me. She also said, who would have told Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne a son for him in his old age. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, as I said, we have been going through uh, this life of Abraham and, and considering the subject of time. And one of the things that we've seen in Abraham's life that we've been talking about is the uh, call to wait. So God had promised Abraham and Sarah, which were formerly Abram and Sarai, that they would have not only a son, but ultimately that they would have more descendants than the stars. And yet, they have gotten older and older, and years and decades have passed. And we've seen them struggle in this waiting. We've seen them, in one instance, take matters into their own hands. And so, but we've seen also the call for us. As we consider our relationship with time, the fact that we have to wait. And so, I I wanted this morning to share, I think, an incredible example of the call to wait and what it looks like when we are asked to wait for something. And so we have a family who is part of uh, Fairview Church, the Wiley family, and they have shared this video of their children during a time when they had to wait. Oh, I love that. I love that. So it's difficult to wait, right? From the time we're a kid to the time we're adults. We we, ha- we don't like to wait. We don't like waiting in lines at the grocery store, which have been incredibly long these past few days. We don't like having to wait for food. We don't have to like having to wait for sermons to get over. Uh, we don't like for the kids, don't like having to wait for Christmas, right? Are, are any of the kids in the room ready for Christmas morning to be here? Uh, we, in general, we don't like to wait. It's difficult to be put in a position where we have to wait. 
And I think in many ways, the way we think about time changed dramatically in the 1300s, in 1320, with the installation of the first clock in Germany. And we see evidence of this because time moved from something that you had to wait on. You had to wait for seasons to change. Uh, It was something that was dependent on the daylight and the rotation of the earth around the sun and all of these natural measures of time. But now that we had a clock, time was something that could be held onto. It was something that could be kept. And in some ways, it was something now that could be possessed. In many ways, our relationship with time moved from being open-handed to being close-handed. We have looked at the Greek terms in the last few weeks for this, and in the Greek, there are two words for time. The first of those is chronos, and this is the idea of time as a measurable resource. I would say this is a close-handed view of time, something we can hold on to, we can schedule, we can manage. And yet there was another word, which is kairos, and I would say this is an open-handed view of time. Kairos is an appointed time, an opportune time, a moment or a season. And you think about some practical examples of this through technology. Obviously, we've gone a long way from the clock. Now, we don't have to wait on seasons. How many of you all have purchased fresh berries here in the last few weeks? That would not have happened throughout most of history. You would have had certain times when you plant and certain times when you harvest. And those were the moments when you could enjoy those kind of things. But now, through technology... Every week of the year, you can go buy strawberries at Publix and the ever-increasing Publix in our area. And so we no longer have to have this open-handed view of time, this Kairos view of time. We're we're far more used to things working on our our chronos, our close-handed way of time. And so the question that we have to ask ourselves when it comes to how we view time is, do we view time fundamentally from this close-handed chronos way as we are owners. So is our view of time that of ownership of time, or is it that of a steward, an open-handed view of time that acknowledges we don't own it, we don't possess it, we simply have been given it for however many days we don't know by God. That's a, a fundamental teaching of the scriptures is do we see ourselves as owners or do we see ourselves as steward? Uh, in the Screwtape Letters by C.S. Lewis, which this is a book, it's a fictional book that Lewis wrote from a demon, uh, Uncle Screwtape, to his nephew demon, Wormwood, and he's giving him advice on basically tormenting and tempting human beings. Uh, he, he writes this. He says, The more claims on life that your patient can be induced to make, the more often he will feel injured, and as a result, ill-tempered. You must therefore zealously guard in his mind the curious assumption, my time is my own. Let him have the feeling that he starts each day, and I love this phrase, as the lawful possessor of 24 hours. That is an incredible description of the way the enemy works, And he's going to cause us to be ill-tempered, to feel like things are taken from us, that we're wrong. If we start our day with this mentality, that this day, these 24 hours belong to me, I'm the rightful possessor, I'm the rightful owner. He goes on to say, the man can neither make nor retain one moment of time. It all comes to him by pure gift. 
he might as well regard the sun and moon as his slaves. And this is really, this is the audacity, this is the foolishness of this close-handed view of time as a possession, as something that's mine to be managed and to kind of be demanded to use in certain ways versus this acknowledgement of stewardship of Kairos time, acknowledging that any time that I have is a gift to be stewarded for the purposes that God has given it to me. Now, as we've watched through these decades, as Abraham and Sarah have waited for this promised child, today we finally get to the moment where the promise is fulfilled, where this baby, Isaac, is born. And God finally does for them what he said he was going to do uh, almost 30 years before this. And, and I want us to consider from this passage what we have to learn about how we view time, how we live in time while we wait, ultimately looking forward to the time when God fulfills his promise. And, and as those who are in this season of Advent, this is a season of waiting from the week right after Thanksgiving until Christmas Eve is the season of Advent. And it's it's based on the Latin word for arrival. And so it's the season of waiting. And as we look back at Israel and they're waiting for thousands of years on the arrival of the Messiah, the first time now we who are in this age between the first and second comings of Christ, we are awaiting the arrival of Christ to come, not as a baby, but as a king. And so let's consider this in, in terms of how we inhabit time during our wait. First, we see the faithfulness of God's word. Verse one, the Lord came to Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. What we see here are these Two words, as he had said and what he had promised. What is the text trying to get us to see? What does God do? He keeps his word, right? Absolutely, that's it. God has the power to keep his word. Now, we have all had people who have broken their word to us. And that is the reality of humanity is those who are not God we sometimes make commitments that we aren't able to keep. We write checks that we are not able to cash. And so there's a humility because of that, that we are to, to have. Uh, and in fact, James writes about this in James 4.13. We read, come now, you who say today or tomorrow, we will travel to such and such a city and spend a year there and do business and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring what your life will be. For you are like a vapor that appears for a little while, then vanishes. Instead, you should say, so instead of saying, hey, 2023, this is how it's going to go. I'm going to go here. I'm going to do this. I'm going to accomplish these plans. Instead, we should say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. And here's the truth. I don't know if I will be standing here next Sunday. I don't know if I will be standing here in 2023. I don't know what lies ahead. And none of us do. None of us have the ability to guarantee that we will be doing anything in the future because we are humans and God knows our time. We don't know that. And so because of that, we humble ourselves 
and acknowledge that only God knows what the future holds. And only God is able to keep his word. But when God, because of who he is, the power that he has, when God makes a promise, you can take it to the bank. You can expect that God will keep his promises just as he did. And the promise we see was not fulfilled because of Abraham's faithfulness in obedience, but because of God's faithfulness to his word. Had Abraham and Sarah obeyed God fully? No, they hadn't, right? They had taken matters into their own hands. Sarah had given Abraham her slave Hagar to sleep with her, to produce an offspring. And this was not God's plan. This was not a demonstration of faithfulness in God's plan and in his power. And yet, God maintained his faithfulness to his word in spite of their failure. So the second thing I want us to notice, not only the faithfulness of God's word, but the fullness of God's time. Sarah, we see in verse 2, became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the appointed time God had told him. Now, Abraham and Sarah, once again, had not had God's timing in mind. They, they felt like it was taking too long. It had been over a decade. They were getting older. Abraham was, was 85 years old. It just didn't make sense. And so they tried to move things into their timetable. But did God have an appointed time all along? Did he know when it was that he was going to fulfill this promise? He absolutely did. It, it was not... God's time that they saw, but their own time. And and this is where we see God's time doesn't always make sense. I mean, think about the fact, uh, verse 5, Abraham was a 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Does that make any sense from this chronos, close-minded human perspective? No, it doesn't mean it's silly. It doesn't make any sense. But this is where we have to consider our view, our limited perspective as human beings, where we, we don't see things from God's vantage point. He has his appointed time, and he will keep his appointed time. Um, and, and we see an example of this in Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 3. The prophet Habakkuk was in a season where injustice and evil was prevailing around him, and God had promised that he was going to come, that he was going to bring justice, that he would change things. But as Habakkuk was waiting, it felt like God had forgotten him. It felt like that that God would not keep his promise. And yet we read in Habakkuk 2, verse 3, that God replies to him, for the vision is yet for the appointed time. It testifies about the end and will not lie. Though it delays, wait for it, since it will certainly come and, hear this, not be late. Is God ever late? No. And we see Peter pick up on this in the New Testament, and he says, hey, the return of Christ is going to come at the appointed time. God will not be late. He knows when that is going to happen. It may feel like it's taking long on our end. It may not make sense, but he will keep his time. He will not be late. When God has an appointed time for something, it will come to pass. Well, third and finally, we're going to see not only the fullness of God's time, but the fulfillment, finally, of God's gift. In verse 3, we read that Abraham named his son, who was born to him, the one Sarah bore to him, Isaac. Now, why, just for a second, why does it clarify his son, the one Sarah bore to him? 
because there was another one, exactly, right? And his name was Ishmael. And so this was this product, right, of, of Abraham and Sarah's disobedience. And so he had a son. But what's being clarified by the text is this is the one God had promised. And this was the son who God had told Abraham and Sarah to name Isaac. Does anyone know what Isaac's name means? Laughter. Awesome. Yeah, you guys are great. And so initially we find that in Genesis 17 and in Genesis 18, God comes to Abraham and he comes to Sarah and he rebukes them. Why? Well, because the idea that they could still have a child at this absurdly old age was was so ridiculous that they laughed. And so there was this rebuke, like, you're laughing, you're going to name your son Isaac as a reminder that you laughed at me. You said that what I said was going to happen was was ridiculous. And so really the name Isaac began as a rebuke for their lack of faith, their lack of trust in God's ability to do what he had said. This this was this close-handed chronos view of time that they had. But ultimately they weren't opening their hands to receive what God had promised in his time. And so we see that ultimately God moves from this name Isaac or laughter from being a rebuke to being an occasion for receiving joy. Verse six, Sarah has said, God has made me laugh and everyone who hears will laugh with me. The laughter again was, was not, it didn't end with this reminder that God was giving them, this rebuke that God was giving them because they laughed at God. They laughed at the idea that He could have a child in his old age. But now there was a a fuller fulfillment. And what was that? Why did they laugh now? Because it had happened, right? Because they were so joyful. That was, it was, it was an expression of joy in their hearts that God had done for them what was impossible. And what does Sarah say about everyone else who hears that this child is born when Abraham was a hundred? What are they going to do? They're going to laugh too, right? This is this blessing as God blesses Abraham and, and Sarah that the nations, the people around him are blessed as well. They are able to see this fuller picture of what God can do, this Kairos open-handed picture of God's ability to do what is impossible. This is exactly what Jesus says in Luke 18, 27. He says, what is impossible with man? Having a baby at 100 years old very clearly falls in the category from a chronos standpoint. This is impossible with man. Yet, what is impossible with man is possible with God. And and what they are ultimately experiencing is the fact that God's plan for them from the beginning was better than their plans for themselves. And this is always the case. God's plan for our lives is always better than our plan for our lives. Right? And, and I've had to see this in, in different ways. There are many ways in which our dream for our life has to die in order for the greater dream that God has for us to be experienced. And, and many of us have, have gone through seasons where we've realized this dream that I'm trying to create, that I'm trying to force, just like Abraham and Sarah taking matters into their own hands, that dream has to die for the fullness of what God has for me, his plan, his purpose to be 
experienced. And, and this is not going to be the end of the story. I want to be clear. We, it would be easy to tie a bow on this whole thing and, and leave it right here with the birth of Isaac and all of the joy and all of the laughter and all of the celebration. And yet we're going to see that this son that they had before, Ishmael, is going to have opposition and is going to struggle and have conflict with Isaac and Hagar, the slave who was Ishmael's mom is going to have this opposition and this struggle with Sarah, who is Isaac's mom. And all of this, Paul is going to write about. He's basically going to give us a commentary in his letter to the Galatians. In Galatians 4.22, we read, For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave and the other by a free woman. But the one by the slave was born as a result of, and we've seen this word over and over, as a result of, the flesh. This is this picture of the flesh, the natural abilities, chronos, our capacity, our timetable, our purposes, our will. Well, the one by the free woman, and that's Sarah, was born through promise. Israel, Ishmael is a picture of living by the flesh. If you live a life of close-handed control, a life of depending on yourself and demanding your own time, you will experience disappointment. Do we see this? If you choose a life of close-handed control, depending on yourself and your abilities and demanding your time, you will experience disappointment. And like Sarah, God may let you have your way, but it won't bring you in the end what you ultimately want. The way of the flesh, as Paul shows us in Galatians, and all of this narrative points to, is the way of slavery. Isaac, on the other hand, is a picture of a life of trusting, Paul says, in God's promises. In being able to humble yourself and open your hands in surrender to God, in dependence on his power, on his plans, on his purposes for your life, you will experience the freedom of sonship. Holding on to the way of control, Kronos, my time, is the way of slavery. Letting go of control, Kairos, surrendering completely and fully to God, is the way of freedom. And this is what ultimately Paul is going to to wrap all of these together in Galatians 4, which is the text that we've based this sermon series off of, Galatians 4, 4. We read, but when the fullness of time, and that word for time, guess what that word is? Kairos. Had come. God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, in slavery, so that we might receive adoption as sons. See, this story of Christmas is, is holistically a story of humility. Because the Son of God humbled himself and let go of his power and his privileges to become a baby. He took on flesh over 2,000 years ago and lived a life largely of rejection and pain and suffering. And ultimately, he humbled himself, Paul writes, to the point of death, 
dying in agony, a criminal's death on a cross. And in that, bearing the full weight of our sin and our guilt and our shame to suffer and die for us. But then, just as God had done with Abraham and Sarah, God did what was humanly impossible in raising him from the dead three days later and giving him life and conquering the power of death. And what Jesus calls us to is to follow the same path. He calls each of us. He says, if you want to follow me, then you're going to have to deny yourself and take up your cross and die to yourself, die to this way of living by your own power and living for your own purposes and living according to your own time and your own plans in order to receive this new life of sonship, of daughtership, of being children of God, of living in the freedom of the Spirit. So I'm going to invite the band to come up before we close our time. But, but I want to ask, just as we respond today to this, what, what about you? When you think about your life right now, the question I, I want to ask you is, is, will you let go? Will, will you open your hand in surrender? Will you let go of of your agenda? Are you willing, because this is the offer that Jesus actually makes, to let go of your timetable? Are you willing to let go of your plans for your life and the people around you? Are you willing to open up your hands and let go of your sin and your guilt and the shame that you carry from your past, from what you have done? Will you open your hand to receive? Will you receive the forgiveness of your sins that Jesus paid for in his blood on the cross as a free gift by grace through faith? Will you receive from him the the freedom from shame that will cripple you and enslave you if you let it? Will you receive a brand new life of following Jesus, no longer following yourself and your own will and your own desires, but following Jesus and his calling on your life? Will you receive the power of his spirit a power that's greater than anything that you have in your flesh on your own. And so I want to just ask, just as we close, if you would just take a moment, just bow your heads just for a moment. And just in your heart, just between you and God, nobody else, just ask yourself that question. Have I done that? Have I opened my hand and and let go completely? you haven't, I want to invite you just in this moment to say a prayer of surrender, to just express your willingness, your desire today to surrender, to open your hands and surrender to God. Just invite you just right there, 
privately, quietly, just say, God, I confess my sins and my failure to you. I confess that I've tried to do it on my own. And I've made a mess of things for myself and others. And I confess that I can't do it. So today, I let go of my control over my life. Today, I let go of my demands. I let go of a life of self-dependence. Today, I surrender completely to you. I surrender my life. I can surrender my will. I put my trust in Jesus, in his life, in his death for my sins, and in his resurrection to give me new and eternal life. I will obey and follow him from this day forward. If you just prayed that and and your desire is to to surrender today, I'm going to be in the prayer room as we respond in song, or or maybe there's just something else that you have a prayer need, something that you need to just surrender to God or you need prayer, I would love to see you in the prayer room. I'm gonna just lead us in a time of prayer before we respond in song. Father, we thank you that you, while we all have failed, just like Abraham and Sarah, we all have taken matters into our own hands and done things our way and try to demand our time. And we know we've made a mess of things. And Father, we confess that to you. And yet, thank you that you did not let go of us, but that you came to us in the person of Jesus, that you lived a life of perfect obedience in our place, that you died for our sins on the cross, and then that you rose from the dead to give us new and eternal life. My prayer is today that that we would have the trust in you that would allow us to surrender, to let go, And so, Lord, would your spirit even enable that to happen, ultimately for the glory of Jesus, that we might live from this day forward, not for ourselves, but for him, and to bring glory to his name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Fairview Church Podcast. To find out more about our church, please visit us online at www.myfairview.org.